Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Beloved listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlota Ikonomu and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox Radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Meron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, question for the priest, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ερεάς Μητροπόλεως Νέας Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Axis Radio 106,1 FM η οποία γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας κύριος κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλου την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας, από την οποία εύχομαι όλοι μας να οφειλεθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας με την προσευχή Βασιλέ Φουράνιε. Βασιλέ Φουράνιε, παράκλητε, το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, έλθε και σκήνωσον εν ημίν και καθάρισον ημάς από πάσης κυλίδος και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O heavenly King, comforter, the spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O gracious one. Let's spend some time now talking about important church events as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes whom we commemorate either today or will do so during the week to come. We are now going into the second week of the Triodion with today being the Sunday of the Prodigal Son. And this is something we'll hear about later from Father Pavlos. I will speak about St. Meletheos, Archbishop of Antioch, and St. Meletheos of Lardos, both of whom we commemorate today. Also, St. Cyril, equal of the Apostles and teacher of the Slavs, whom we will remember, God willing, on the 14th. St. Anthemos of Chios, whom we will celebrate on the 15th. The great martyr Theodore of Tiro, whom we will commemorate on the 17th. And finally, the Saturday of Souls, which we will celebrate on the 18th. As we've said previously, the reason we read and talk about our saints is so that we learn from them and apply these learnings to our everyday lives, essentially to give us the courage and the strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. 
Let's start out by speaking about St. Meletheos, Archbishop of Antioch. St. Meletheos was Bishop of Sevasti in Armenia in the 4th century, but was then summoned to Antioch by the Emperor Constantius to help combat the Arian heresy. He struggled zealously against Arianism, but was deposed three times from his cathedral due to plotting by the Arian heretics. Through all this, though, St. Meletheos was distinguished by an extraordinary gentleness, and he constantly led his flock by the example of his own virtue and kindly disposition. After Constantius, the throne was occupied by Julian the Apostate, and the saint again was expelled, having to hide himself in secret places for his safety. Returning under the Emperor Jovian in the year 363, St. Meletheos wrote his theological treaty, Exposition of the Faith, which facilitated the conversion of many Arians to Orthodoxy. In the year 381, under Emperor Theodosius the Great, the Second Ecumenical Council was convened and St. Meletheos presided over it. Before the start of the council, he raised his hand, displaying three fingers, and then, withdrawing two fingers and leaving only one extended, he blessed the people, proclaiming, We understand three hypostases, and we speak about a single nature. With this declaration, a fire surrounded him like lightning. It was during this council that St. Meletheos reposed, and St. Gregory of Nyssa honoured his memory with a eulogy. St. Meletheos has left treatises on the consubstantiality of the Son of God with the Father and a letter to the Emperor Jovian concerning the Holy Trinity. In addition, he was the one who ordained the future hierarch St. Basil the Great as deacon and also baptised and encouraged another of the greatest luminaries of orthodoxy, St. John Chrysostom. May we all have St. Meletheos's intercessions. Let's now speak about St. Meletheos of Lardos. St. Meletheos was born in the village of Lardos in Rhodes towards the end of the 18th century to pious Christian parents. He was taught to read and write by the parish priest and from an early age he demonstrated an intensely charitable and philanthropic spirit. Another feature of his childhood was that he liked to go off alone to pray in a completely calm atmosphere. In fact, he used to find refuge for his prayer in a cave close to the ancient but abandoned monastery of Ipsos, which had been dedicated to the Most Holy Theodokos, our Panagia. According to tradition, one evening at the time of prayer, he saw a light shining on a particular spot where there was an icon of the Mother of God which no one had known was there. In the following days, in a new vision, Alpanayir asked him to build a church in her name and to rebuild the monastery. 
He complied with her wishes and immediately set about taking the steps necessary to be rebuild the monastery, and at the same time he was tonsured a monk. He quickly acquired a reputation for his very ascetic life, and so the local bishop ordained him a deacon, then a priest, spiritual guide, and finally abbot of the monastery. Saint Melatheos was an important spiritual figure on the island of Rhodes because he strengthened orthodoxy. He travelled all over the island, instructing people about the orthodox religion, heard many, many confessions, as well as miraculously curing people of their illnesses and protecting fugitives, particularly from the Ottoman rulers. He was also distinguished for his charity and hospitality. His activities began to upset the Turkish occupiers and their displeasure intensified when they learned that he recommended that Greek girls should have nothing to do with them. Indeed, some of the Turks attempted to assassinate him, but he learned of the plot and hid in a cave. Local traditions relate a host of miraculous events through which divine grace protected him from the dangers that were threatening him. Towards the end of his life, he fell victim to a most vicious slander. A girl with mental health problems became pregnant by a Turk, but reported that Melatheos, who was an elderly man and much weakened by his ascetic life, was the father. In fact, St. Melatheos breathed his last before the Metropolitan of Rhodes as he was defending his innocence. The truth was soon revealed and he was buried with honours. When his grave was opened many years later, an intense fragrance filled the surrounding area, demonstrating his saintliness. His precious relics continue to be a source of healing and miracles to this day. For those that don't know this, our previous metropolitan Amphilochios is from the same village as St. Melatheos, but not only that, he was instrumental in recent years in reviving the monastery that St. Melatheos re-established. We would also like to take this opportunity to wish Father Melatheos, our abbot and priest monk from our monastery in Levin, many years for his name's day. Speak about Saint Cyril, equal of the Apostles and teacher of the Slavs. Saint Cyril and his older brother Methodius were Slavs born in Macedonia in the city of Thessalonica. Saint Cyril received the finest of educations and from the age of 14 was raised with the son of the Emperor. Later he was ordained as a priest. Upon his return to Constantinople, he worked as a librarian of the Cathedral Church and as a professor of philosophy. St. Cyril successfully held debates with iconoclast heretics and with Muslims.
Yearning for solitude, he went to Mount Olympus to his older brother Methodius, but his solitude lasted only a short time as both brothers were sent by the Emperor Michael on a missionary journey to, pre to preach Christianity to the Khazars in the year 857. Along the way, they stopped at Scherson and discovered the relics of the Eromartyra Clement of Rome. Arriving at the territory of the Khazars, the Holy Brothers spoke with them about the Christian faith. Persuaded by St. Cyril's preaching, the Khazar prince, together with all his people, accepted Christianity. The grateful prince wanted to reward the preachers with rich presents, but they refused this and instead asked the prince to free and send home with them all the Greek captives, which he did, and so St. Cyril returned to Constantinople with t together with 200 such captives. It was in the year 862 that the main missionary work of the brothers began, when, at the request of Prince Rostislav, the emperor sent them to Moravia to preach Christianity in the Slavic language. St. Cyril and Methodius, by a revelation from God, compiled a Slavonic alphabet and translated the Gospel, epistles, the Psalter and many service books into the Slavonic languages. Language, sorry. They also introduced divine services in Slavonic. The Holy Brothers were then summoned to Rome at the invitation of the Roman Pope. Pope Adrian received them with great honour since they brought with them the relics of the Eromartyra Clement. Saint Cyril soon fell ill from his many labours and soon after reposed in the year 869 at the age of 42. Before his death, he expressed his wish for his brother to continue the Christian enlightenment of the Slavs. Saint Cyril was buried in the Roman church of Saint Clement, whose own relics also rest there. <laughs> Let's now speak about Saint Anthemos of Chios. Saint Anthemos was born on the 1st of July in the year 1869 to virtuous parents who strive to give their child a Christian education. He was gifted with a spirit of wisdom and from an early age shone as one who would become a great guide leading others to Christ. On Sundays, he and his family attended services at the monastery of Naamoni. When he was eight years old, he met St. Nectarios, who was a deacon at the time. After speaking with the young boy, St. Nectarios said to the abbot of the monastery, Elder, do you see that child? Some day he will become a saint. St. Anthemos had little formal education, but with a good disposition, spiritual discernment, and with a particularly intense desire for the spiritual life, he advanced steadfastly in the virtuous life. Divine love led him to renounce the world and enter the monastic life. The starting point of this was his visit to the Skiti of the Holy Fathers of Chios for the restoration of his own wonder-working icon of the All-Holy Virgin, the Helper, or in Greek, Panagia Voithia, which he had received from his mother. This icon became an integral part of his life and the Panagia became a source of strength for him. His guide in the ascetical life was the holy elder Bachomios of Skedis.
He submitted to the elder and through unceasing prayer, fasting and the harsh struggles, he grew great in asceticism and virtue. His physical and spiritual struggles left him exhausted and ill. So, with the blessing of the elder, he returned to his home in order to recuperate, but he did not abandon his struggles. Once his health was partially restored, he retired to to a small isolated cell on his father's estate in Levavia, and here continued his spiritual struggles. At the same time, he worked as a shoemaker in order to help his poor parents and also to help those who were in need. In his cell, by unceasing prayer and by studying the lives of the great ascetics, he was strengthened and made much progress in his spiritual life, and because of this, he provoked the demonic rage of the evil one. He struggled greatly in his fight with the demons, but was steadfast always in the struggle. By the age of 40, he was ready for the priesthood, but the local bishop refused to ordain him because of his lack of education. In 1910, he was invited to Adramitium in Asia Minor by his godfather and was ordained there by the Bishop of Smyrna. His ordination was not a typical event, however. In fact, there were signs of divine approval following the ordination. Earthquake, lightning, thunder and much rain occurred at that sacred hour. The vigil lamp swayed and one of them fell down. After the ordination there was calm and stillness. As long as he remained in Adramitrium, he shone in a dazzling way because of his virtue and holiness. He healed those who were possessed by demons, something his fellow priests were unable to do. His spiritual radiance stirred up the passion of jealousy, though, and so he left in 1911 and went to Mount Athos. After this, he returned to Chios, where he was assigned as the priest for the home of lepers. The Lady Theotokos, through the prayers of St. Anthemos, performed countless miracles of healing the sick. This institution for unfortunate lepers became a spiritual centre of physical and mental health. As the priest of that church, St. Anthemos was always with the lepers. He ate with them, talked to them, communed them with the divine mysteries, and after the divine liturgy he rested. It was during this time that he envisioned the establishment of a monastery to shelter nuns who had fled there from Asia Minor following the exchange of populations during the period 1922 to 1924. In 1927, after he had a vision of the Theotokos, he received permission to build such a monastery. He also built the magnificent temple dedicated to the icon of the Mother of God the Helper, or as we said previously, Panagia Voithia, in 1930. From that time he settled in the monastery, filled with devotion to the most holy Theodokos, and there he advanced in his life of asceticism. He shepherded his flock with great affection and love, strengthening and consoling them with his sweet and simple speech, and also healing the sicknesses and afflictions of those who went to him. After his long life ministry, at the age of 90, he celebrated his last divine liturgy on January the 27th, 1960. A few days later, he reposed in peace and was glorified as a saint by the Church of Constantinople on the 13th of August in the year 1992.
Let's now speak about the great martyr Theodore of Tiro. The holy great martyr Theodore was a soldier in the city of Alassium under the command of Brincus. He was called Tiro from the Latin word Tiro because he was a newly enlisted recruit. He was commanded to offer sacrifice to idols, but he firmly confessed his faith in Christ the Saviour in a loud voice. As a result of this, the commander gave him several days to think his decision over, during which time St. Theodore prayed to God. He then gave his answer by setting fire to the temple of Sibeli, the mother of gods. For this he was charged with setting a pagan temple on fire and was thrown into prison to starve to death. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him there, comforting and encouraging him. Then brought to the governor, St. Theodore boldly and fearlessly confessed his faith, for which he was subjected to new torments and condemned to burning. But he climbed onto the fire without hesitation, and with prayer gave up his holy soul to God in the year 306. Unharmed by the fire, his body was buried in the city of Ephrata, not far from Amasium. His relics were afterwards transferred to Constantinople to a church dedicated to him. His head is in Italy in the city of Gaeto. Fifty years after his death, the Emperor Julian the Apostate during the first week of Great Lent commanded the city commander of Constantinople to sprinkle all the food provisions in the marketplaces with the blood offered to idols. St. Theodore appeared in a dream to Archbishop Evdoxius, ordering him to inform all the Christians that no one should buy anything at the marketplaces, but rather to eat cooked wheat with honey or koliva as it is known in Greek. In memory of this occurrence, the Orthodox Church also celebrates the saint's memory on the first Saturday of Great Lent. People often pray to St. Theodore to help them recover stolen articles. Oh, sir, 
let's now speak about the Saturday of Souls, which we will commemorate this coming Saturday. Through the Apostolic Constitutions, the Orthodox Church has received the tradition of offering memorials for the departed on the 3rd, 9th and 40th days after their death. Since many people throughout all time have died untimely deaths or have died in faraway places or may not have received proper burials or had no one to offer memorial services for them, the Holy Fathers of our Church decree that a common memorial be made on this day for all such people. This day is also the day before Meat Fair Sunday, the day on which we remember the last judgment and Christ's second's coming. We pray for the departed on this day because the Orthodox Church has established Saturday as the proper day of the week for remembering the dead, as the reposed have neither been judged nor have they received their complete recompense. And so, trusting in the boundless mercy of God, we pray to him to have mercy on sinners. On this day, before we hear the gospel about the last judgment, we should all pause to recall our own inescapable death and how we shall ourselves appear before Christ to give an account of our lives. This gives us all the opportunity as we prepare the spirit for the spiritual struggles of the Great Lenten Fast to remember that we have been given this present life for repentance and for entreating God's mercy. When Christ comes in glory to judge the world, it will be too late then to say that we repent or to ask for mercy. Therefore, we should make the most of the time that has been given to us in order to struggle against every sinful impulse which separates us from God, to confess our sins, to correct ourselves, and to pursue a life of virtue and holiness. Let's now read a little from the book entitled Our Thoughts Determine Our Lives, The Life and Teachings of Elder Thaddeus of Vitovnica. In the piece that I'm going to read from this book, Elder Thaddeus speaks about the souls of the dead. He says, We should not mourn the dead, but instead pray fervently for our departed loved ones, that God may grant them to dwell with the angels. This is what he wants from us. Mourning will get us nowhere. By mourning we not only can destroy our own health, but can also harm the peace that the souls of the deceased have received from the Lord. We must pray for our loved ones. We must not be sorrowful and depressed. Excessive sorrow for our loved ones who have left this world is not a Christian act, but an act of godlessness. We prepare ourselves in this life for life eternal. We must be thankful for everything and thank God for taking the souls of our departed loved ones to himself. If they have departed this world without having repented, we must pray for them that God might forgive their sins. We must perform acts of mercy in their name and in their memory for the peace of their souls. And God will accept such acts of love. Only the Lord can free a soul from meshes of thought in which it became entangled while in this life and which still bind it in eternity. Only God can free such a soul. Therefore we must pray for our loved ones who are deceased. It is the most we can do to pray that God grant rest to their souls and to give their baptismal names to priests and eremonks who serve the Holy Liturgy every day so that they may pray for their souls. Someone once approached Bishop Nikolai Velimirovich and asked him, Will the souls of unrepentant sinners be saved? He answered, They will if there is someone who will pray for them. The liturgy, as we know, is a Golgothan sacrifice. This means that the Lord himself is sacrificed at the Holy Liturgy. When a priest takes out the particles from the prosphora for the repose of the departed and after receives Holy Communion, he says, O Lord, by thy most pure blood forgive the sins of all those commemorated today. 
As you can see, this is the most perfect prayer and the greatest sacrifice that we can offer up for our loved ones who have departed to God. If you've just joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. I'm Carlota Ekonomu and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programs at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for Question for the Priest, and Father Miletios, priest, monk and abbot from the Holy Archangel's Monastery in Levin, will answer the question, Can we pray with our own words, and what place has silence in prayer? 
Silence is an essential part of our prayers. Prayer is not just addressing God, it is primarily observing, listening within ourselves. In prayer, the aim is not to tell God something new, rather to hear Him reveal to us what's new in our souls. As in every relationship, one is close to a person when one can be silent together. Metropolitan Callistos Ware says, Silence? Silence is not merely negative, a pause between words, a temporary cessation of speech, but properly understood it is highly positive, an attitude of attentive alertness, of vigilance and above all of listening. The hisihas, the person who has attained isihia, inner stillness or silence, is par excellence the one who listens. This stillness of senses, which we name silence, should not be a daydreaming or some kind of ambiguity. It must be a positive silence, alive, vibrating, a guard on the alert, with a sense of God and life. On the other hand, we can say that we could, and in the beginning we should, pray with our own words, but we must know that there is no specific value in prayer in our own words, except in some specific moments. Prayer in our own words often aims towards the arousal of our own emotions, and that emotional sensation can be misunderstood as a presence of God or some kind of spiritual experience. A flood of words is never without its faults. Proverbs 10.19 Think of your soul as a lake. During the day we have hundreds of thoughts, desires, passions, all sorts of thoughts, which stir this lake and ripple it. The purpose of prayer is to calm this lake in order to see on the surface your own image, your own character. We should aim at inner stillness whether we are outwardly silent or not. A man during such prayers continues to strain his soul and his mind. In such a prayer he continues to think, to desire. Therefore his lake never comes down completely, he never gets a chance to see himself as he really is, since he does not even make an effort toward self-observation, not self-analysis, but observation in silence. He rather tries and struggles to impart something to God. Orthodox prayer, though, is the exact opposite of that. The goal is to calm down and stop your thoughts, feelings, desires, and all other movements of the soul. Such a prayer is a service, a state that has its own course and goal. The goal is to observe ourselves through the eyes of God, because thus He speaks to us. There, in that state, words are only the means and not the purpose. Their purpose is to stop the uncontrolled movement of the soul, which in the same time, unfortunately, is our normal daily condition. Therefore we read prayers even when we know them by heart. The monk prays all day and it would be pointless to continuously invent something new to say, because the goal of his prayer is not to say something, but to stop talking. The goal of his prayer is to maintain the peace in the soul which he has acquired, to maintain the flame of faith and love granted from above. The essence of reading prayers, rather than saying our own, is in that that the mind is set free from the tension that we have while looking for the words to say which prevents us from hearing the movements of our heart and soul. Because prayer is not something that we tell God, something that He did not already know. Prayer is a service in which we offer as a gift to God our own soul. The words of prayer are only a vessel, not the content. It is not the sole intent that we to say to God, I'm sorry, thank you or I need this and that. Rather, the aim is through prayer to get to know ourselves. Therefore, prayer is not prose, but poetry, with various poetic forms. St. Gregory of Sinai, 14th century, writes, Prayer is God who works all things in all men. It is not something that I initiate, but something in which I share. It is not primarily something that I do, but something that God is doing in me. In St. Paul's phrase, not I, but Christ in me. The path of inner prayer is exactly indicated in St. John the Baptist's words about the Messiah. He must increase, but I must decrease. It is in this sense 
that to pray is to be silent. You yourself must be silent, let the prayer speak. More precisely, let God speak. True inner prayer is to stop talking and to listen to the wordless voice of God within our heart. It is to cease doing things on our own and to enter into the action of God. Today's Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32. The Lord said this parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a grave famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his belly with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he never answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and he is found. We'd like to now welcome Father Pavlos onto the program, and he will explain today's Gospel. Αγαπητοί μου χριστιανοί ακροατές του ραδιοφωνικού προγράμματος της Ιεράς Αρχιεπισκοπής Νέας Ζηλανδίας, Beloved listeners to the radio program of the Sacred Metropolis of New Zealand, it's an interesting timing for this uh, Sunday's Gospel reading because we have been given a week of no fasting this past week. In other words, the Church said, you're not to fast this, fall, this past week that just passed because we were imitating the, the publican who didn't fast. And we're being taught by this strange example that even those who are sinful and are not always vigilant can still enter into the kingdom of heaven, can still be found pleasing to God, if they obtain humility. Now, today, of course, that is to say Sunday, as we're hearing the gospel of the prodigal son, we'll know that we ourselves were prodigal in this past week. Uh, we ate maybe more than we should have. We maybe acted in a way that perhaps wasn't the becoming of a Christian. Maybe overdid it, as they say. Um, and yet... The gospel is for us. So here the church, in a sense, gave us a little bit of latitude 
to uh, to eat and to drink, but then at the same time we knowing that we're going to feel a little bit more that we can relate to the prodigality of the son who wasted his living on wanton uh, on a wanton lifestyle. Όχι, δεν μπορώ να το πω καημένος, γιατί αυτός ο ίδιος διάλεξε αυτό το δρόμο που διάλεξε, αλλά το λέμε καημένος γιατί εμείς έχουμε καημό για τον, τον νέο παιδί που έφυγε από τον πατέρα του με όλα τα, τα λεφτά που μπόρεσε να πάρει από τον πατέρα, το, το μισθό του ας πούμε, από τον πατέρα, για να τα χαλάσει στις ειδονές. Όχι για τίποτα καλό, για τίποτα σπουδαίο, αλλά μόνο να γλεντήσει, να φάει, να πει, να, να διασκεδάσει και να κάνει πράγματα που ο καλός άνθρωπος δεν πρέπει να κάνει. Και τα έκανε και τα σκόρπισε όλα τα λεφτά του. Αλλά μετά ήρθε ο... και δεν μπόρεσε να φάει. Δεν είχε λεφτά να αγοράσει τίποτα. Οι φίλοι του που είχαν, που είχε, όλοι φύγανε. Ήταν μόνος του, χωρίς συντοφιά, χωρίς κάποιον να τους υποστηρίξει, χωρίς καμιά... Παρηγοριά. Αλλά ο Θεός τον αγάπη και ο, ο, ο πατέρας βεβαίως της ιστορίας συμβολίζει τον Θεό Πατέρα και ο Θεός τον αγάπησε. Τον είδε βεβαίως ότι είχε σπάταλα τα, τη ζωή του, είχε σκορπίσει τα αγαθά, αλλά ο Θεός τον αγάπησε λέει, είναι ο γιος μου, τον θέλω πίσω. The story that we heard of course tells us about a young man who wasted his living. He had been given his inheritance, of course he asked for that. Not, we shouldn't think of him as a victim in any way. He asked for his inheritance. He asked to receive what he would have received had his father died. He said, let me have it now. I don't have the patience to wait for my father to die. Let me have it now. And then he took that inheritance and he wasted it. He wasted it on things that are not worthy of a good person. He wasted it on drink, on food, on, on all the passions. He did things which we can't repeat and shouldn't repeat because they were things that are, are not worthy of imitation. And those things used up all of his money very quickly, so that he became impoverished, not even having enough money to buy food anymore. He had been reduced to complete and abject poverty. And where were all his friends then? Where were they to be found? Where was someone to give him support and comfort? They were all gone. But still there was one who loved him. And who was that one? It was his father. The Father God. Of course, the story is told by Jesus Christ, and the Father is symbolic of the Heavenly Father. And the Father loves him still, even though he has sinned. And the story continues the way Christ tells it is so beautiful. No one, I think, on earth has ever been a better storyteller than Jesus Christ. He says, says so much with so few words. We could all learn a lot from him. And Christ tells the story that the man was waiting for his son to return. And he ran up to him. He didn't even wait for the son to make it all the way back. He met him halfway, as you would, might say in modern English, but we don't know if it's halfway exactly, but he met him uh, as the young man was returning. O Christos lei din historia na xerma te feos mas perimeni, ke mesi na martia, den mas eknai, den mas kategori, mas agapai metapinosi. It's really the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture when we understand that the human being No matter how far he has fallen, God wants him back. God loves him. God wants to restore him. God wants to take him again into his embrace. He wants to give him all the good things that before were his as a, as a son. Now this young man, when he returned to the Lord, he said those beautiful words, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he wanted to continue. Count me as your hired servant. Because he knew that even the servants ate better than he was eating. He was eating the food that was offered to pigs. But he didn't get to complete his sentence. He didn't get to verbalize all those things that were on his heart. Instead, he said only, Father, I have sinned. And with those words, Father embraced him. He didn't let him complete his sentence because he was forgiven already. He took him back, not as a servant, but as a son. And he asked that the finger of, son, the, the thing of sonship be placed on his finger. And that was a very important symbol. He was taken back as an equal. We have something similar in our church tradition, and hopefully something that you're all well aware of, and that is holy confession. We sometimes fall into sins ourselves. We do things that are not becoming of a Christian or even of a human being, and we need forgiveness for our sins, and we want God to take us back. But sometimes we're afraid, will God receive us back again? And those are the times when we need to run to our parish priest 
unto our Father Confessor and to say our sins and not to hide anything. And in that expression, God, we will hear through the priest the words of God, your sins are forgiven you, go in peace. We will know what joy there is when one sinner repents. Christ said, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who haven't gone astray. And God says that even when one sinner repents, there's much rejoicing in heaven. And we can be that one sinner coming back to God, putting aside our, our negative thoughts, our angry thoughts, our hurtful thoughts, our hurting thoughts, to be received again to God's embrace, to put off any of the false attitudes and practices that we've adopted, any sinful habits that we may have acquired, to put them away and to stand as we were once made, free of every sin, every stain, and restored through the word of the priest to spotless condition. And then we will know the love of God the Father for us, and we will be able to come again into his embrace. I share these words with you. Πιο πολύ για τα παιδιά μα να τα καταλαβαίνουν. Γιατί καμιά φορά νομίζουν ότι η Εκκλησία δεν του θέλει. Βεβαίω η Εκκλησία του θέλει. Και αμαρτωλό να είναι το παιδί, ο Θεό τον αγαπάει, τον θέλει κοντά του. Αυτό να λέμε στα παιδιά μα. Να μην νομίζουν ότι η Εκκλησία είναι εκεί να του κρίνει. Η Εκκλησία είναι να του σώσει. As we're nearing the end of our time together today, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM and hope that you'll join us again next Sunday. I'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them and a special thanks today to Fathers Pavlos and Melateos. We look forward to seeing you soon and may our beloved Christos and Panagia bless and protect us all. Herete.
program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.